You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, but not ourselves. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And things are finally back to the way that they should be, with uh, me back as host. Hi everyone, who can't see me right now, because this is a podcast, <laughs> not a video chat. Well, that was awkward. Uh, maybe it was better when Eric be. started things. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it, it was, was fun, better but, when uh, Eric started but, uh, things out. You know, heavy is the head that wears the crown, and I'm I'm happy to to uh, not have those responsibilities anymore. Yeah, you know, it's too much to ask you to you know like lead the podcast and edit the podcast and post the podcast and oh wait no it's, that's yeah. that's what I do. It is it's backbreaking work, yeah. man. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's it's worth it, right? I think. Who knows. All right, so let's go ahead and start getting into this because we do not actually have nearly as much time to record uh, for this episode as we typically do. So if you've been following us lately, um, you know, this might actually be a normal length episode that you can actually listen to in one sitting rather than having to decide whether to watch the movie or listen to the podcast. So, yeah. So it is February, which means that we have officially started our February theme, and I am so excited. <laughs> I am so excited. I'm very excited about this. Um, so, I'm mostly just excited well, about actually, how I'm, dumb of a theme it is, because, man, I really love dumb. coming up with dumb themes. What's even better about February is that after I first posted the hashtag for it i searched the hashtag to see if there was um anything that anybody else had ever posted on there and um it turns out february is actually a um a furry themed uh hashtag where uh people will draw furry related artwork so that just makes it so much better like it I makes mean, it so much better that we get lumped into that lovely group of people i mean are you surprised I'm not surprised, and I also feel like it's actually very fitting because, since we haven't said it yet, February is a celebration, a month-long celebration of all things werewolves in cinema. Truth. And, um, you know, the furry community, it's not ex- its not necessarily a fetish thing, um, but I think that's what most people know it as. And uh, I think that lumping werewolves in with that, it, it feels kind of fitting because all the a lot of these werewolves mo- werewolf movies we're going to be talking about do have a... Uh, an underlying kind of sexual aspect to them that's pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> underlying so yeah, know, nothing. Like they have like a very overt here. sexual thing. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. 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 Um so so yeah, we we are talking about werewolf movies, not the furry community. 
And you know what? If there are any furries listening to this podcast, um, awesome. Because, uh, you know, furries are people too. And, and, and it's not just a fetish. Yes, there absolutely is the fetish side of it. But, you know, like a mm. big part of being a furry is just that opportunity to be something different and to be someone other yeah. than who you are. And like you were just saying, that is very fitting for a, a, a werewolf themed month because all of the movies that we're going to be talking about do have some level of, you know, that duality of the, the animalistic nature and the human side of things, which we are mm. going to be sinking our teeth into in just a minute. Um, but, and yes, I'm going to be making that joke a lot. There's going to be lots of... I was going to say, I wonder if we'll, we'll be able to manage to say it in every single episode. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to happen. Well, I was going to say, you know, I, I, I think that we're going to have a howling good time this month. Uh, I, I have more, but though, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll save those for later. Um, Yeah, so, so if you have been listening to us for a while, you know that our episodes have been getting increasingly... Uh, unwieldily long unwieldily is a word right we yes. we ramble way too much because we have so much fun talking about these movies and and diving into them and while i love the podcast um i recognize it might be a little much for some people to listen to when the episode about a movie is longer than the movie itself like i, I think the only one in uh, in in recent memory where that wasn't true was avatar and only slightly. <laughs> it only just barely came in under time. So, yeah. <laughs> which, I mean. We're if, almost as self-indulgent as James Cameron. Almost. Um, except not. So, so yeah, we're, we're going to be trimming things down a little bit. But if you have been listening for a while and you enjoy the, uh, the structure of our episodes in terms of how we approach movies with our prior information and how it shapes our expectations and discussing movies from the more technical aspects as well as more of the emotional response and our analysis of it, then all of that is still going to be here. We are not changing what we are doing we're just shifting the format around a little bit um, in large part because Eric and I are terrible about keeping things separated. So during the technical, we'll start diving straight into the emotional and then the emotional will be like, Oh, right. Crap. Mm. We forgot to talk about this. Plus transitions take time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we're still going to talk about to compartmentalize it. Sometimes it, it really is, especially when, for instance, with James Cameron, where we were talking about his lack of character development and, you know, like that was a technical No, flaw. I was not talking about that at but all. then the emotion... Yes, you were. <laughs> but then uh, diving into... I was disagreeing Yeah, but who cares it. about that flaw because he builds these worlds and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and so we kept going back and forth. And, and, and yeah, it just... We're, we're shifting things around a little bit. But we are still going to be addressing all of the same components. We're still going to talk about, you know, what context we viewed the movie in, uh, in terms of whether it's prior information or if there's any uh, additional information about the director and what they were planning or just any of that context for how we actually watch the movie. Uh, we're also going to be talking about the technical components such as script and pacing and acting and, you know, all of those things about whether or not it is a quote unquote good movie but also how we felt about it. And, and again, there's going to be lots of overlap. We're not clearly delineating those. And uh, it's also going to depend on the movie. 
some movies are going to be much more of an emphasis on the analysis. Like tonight's episode, I feel like we're probably going to be discussing more about what we think things mean and and how we felt about it rather mm. than just the quality of yeah. the film itself. Um, so yeah, just, just a heads up for anyone who has been listening for a while. Uh, if you do like our structure, the structure is changing, but the content is not. All right. So with some of that uh, out of the way, Eric, what was your context? Oh, I guess we should say what movie we're, we're talking about. Tonight we're talking about The Howling. We are kicking off our <laughs> February month <laughs> with, with The Howling uh, from 1981 by Joe Dante. It's such an amazing movie. Oh, my God. I love it. Spoilers. Um, yeah. So, Eric, what was your prior information? What was your context about The Howling? Uh, this is the first time I've seen the howling. Um, and I knew almost nothing about it going into it. Actually. You know, I knew that it was a werewolf movie directed by Joe Dante and starring D Wallace. And that, you know, of course there's a Dick Miller cameo and that's it. Like I had no idea what the actual plot to this movie was whatsoever. Um, so, and I deliberately avoided looking anything up about it beforehand. I just wanted to go in as cold as possible. Um, and so I watched that, and then I also, just for added context, I rewatched uh, An American Werewolf in London, uh, simply because that was the other big werewolf movie from 1981. There were a few others, like Wolfen and Full Moon High, but uh, those, uh, for whatever reason, Why didn't seem you to watch have penetrated those? the... Well, you know, they, they didn't seem to have uh, gotten into the pop cultural consciousness in quite the same way. These are the two that seem to always be kind of pitted against one another. Um, for various reasons, there's a lot of interesting overlap in terms of like, you know, the technical aspects and, you know, the werewolf transformations and all that stuff, which we'll talk a little bit about, I'm sure. But, um, but yeah, so I watched that just, um, just to, uh, you know, have a little bit of context and to kind of compare the two. I won't talk too much about the John Landis film. Uh, I'll focus on the Joe Dante one, but it was very interesting to watch them back to back. I do not understand. I mean, I understand, but I don't understand why people pit those two against each other because yeah, sure. They're both werewolf movies that came out at the same time, but to me, they are so Mm. different in tone and, and style and the story that they're trying to tell that to me, it doesn't feel like I'm watching uh, a comparison of to me, it doesn't feel like I'm watching uh, two related movies, or it doesn't feel like, oh, do I, I want this mostly, one or this one? It, they're they're so different, and I love them both. Yeah, I think it's mostly because they were released so close to one another, just within a few months. They were just a few months apart, and also, um, you know, Rick Baker did American Werewolf in London. Rob Bottin, who was you know kind of was a uh, an apprentice, I guess you would say, of Rick Baker. He did. The Howling. Um, I think there are actually some are some pretty interesting parallels between the two movies if you watch them back to back that you wouldn't normally notice. Um, and also, too, in 1981, this, these are like you had a bunch of werewolf movies coming out, and there had been a very long period where there were no werewolf movies. Um, so I think that all those things kind of combined together is why these two end up, you know, um, inevitably are compared to one another. Sure. But in my mind, it's almost like comparing clue with Rocky horror picture show. It's like, yeah, sure. They're both Tim Curry movies and they're both in uh, like this old mansion and people are trying to escape, but they are so not even close to each other that I, anywho. Uh, Yeah. So, so my prior information, um, this is only the second time that I've watched the howling. 
it, if I've seen it, the first time I saw it was just last year in preparation for the Chat Film Fest. And if I had seen it before then, it was only like bits and pieces or it was highlights and some of the, you know, like top 100 horror movies type thing. But I can't remember actually viewing it in its entirety before last year. So uh, it's still relatively recent to me, in part because time has lost all meaning. And so even though something (laughs) that took place almost a year ago, it feels like it was only about two months ago. Um, So yeah, uh, first time I watched it last year. And and I loved it. I I, I oh God, I love Joe Dante films, and we're gonna get into this in just a little bit. But one of the things that I love so much about Joe Dante films is even when there are flaws, or even when there is something that's lacking, I am so drawn into the movie that I don't care. And there's something very specific mm. that we're gonna get into in just a minute uh, about that, but. He just has a way of making his films seem real and seem lived in. Maybe not quite to the point of uh, Spielberg in terms of like giving all of those nuances to every little character, but his movies are always just so captivating to me. Love him, love those movies. Um, in regards to February, <laughs> I'm gonna laugh every time I say it. The other two werewolf movies that I watched um, prior to the Howling were the. Uh, the Wolfman, the original Wolfman with, um, oh my God, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Lon Chaney, Lon Chaney Jr. Jr. Yeah. <laughs> I saw his face, but not his name. Uh, yeah. The original <laughs> Wolfman with Lon Chaney Jr. And then the Wolfman remake um, with Benicio Del Toro. Yes. The Wolfman. The Wolfman and the Wolfman. <laughs> and um, yeah, I... I love the original Wolfman movie so much, and I know that isn't really providing a whole lot of context, but it's just such a good movie. And it really is. I <sighs> I watched it for the first time a, a couple years ago, and I was kind of bowled over by how much I liked it because I've never been a big werewolf guy um, up until recently. Um, but but man, the the original Wolfman is so good. And so tragic, and it's it's truly a terrific movie. And also, it has a cameo in uh, in the the Howling multiple times. <laughs> it does indeed. Uh, so you know, it's it's relevant to what we're talking about. Um, I, I also uh, last year when we were doing our um, history of cinema series, I watched like all of the Wolfman movies or all of the Universal monster movies that had the Wolfman in them. Maybe not all of them, but I watched all of the ones that I had. So I saw, who knows, seven or eight movies back to back. Mm. And even though the Wolfman story gets so overdone in terms of uh, Lawrence Talbot just being like, I'm sad and I want to die because I'm a wolf, but I can't die because I'm a wolfman. And please, doc, somebody help me. Don't ask me why uh, he sounds like Jim Stewart. He just does. Because uh, I, I have one impersonation and it's all just a bad version of Jim Stewart. Um, <laughs> even though that story gets so overdone, every time I saw it, I, I felt a little bit more for him, you know, like I was drawn in each yeah. time with like the, Oh, Oh yeah. Like he really can't die. And, and it, it started, it went from feeling overdone to feeling like, Oh, right. That is just his life. And so every movie, of course, he's just trying to find some way to end his werewolfism or to die. 
because mm. because it's a tragic life. So yeah, kind of came around full circle for me. Um, yeah. And even though we're not talking about the Wolfman remake, I'm going to talk about it just a hair. See what I did there. Uh, if you do, yeah. <laughs> <it's>, yeah. <clears throat> if you do watch the Wolfman, watch it in black and white. It's it's not a great movie. It's better than I remembered it. And um, they, they try to do too many things with trying to make it look like a classic movie. So like they, they vignette it in terms of like, you know, having the little dark corners and just like a super soft focus on everything, but also a really short depth of field. So anything behind the, uh, the main character is out of focus. And there's just way too many things that they're doing. It, it, it's kind of um, uh, desaturated a little bit. Everything that they do in that movie to try to make it feel old just gets distracting, like annoyingly distracting. Turn the color all the way off, watch it in black and white, and it's a pretty solid modern update of a classic horror movie with just a few more decapitations mm. and disembowelments. So, uh, yeah, I, I actually recommend The Wolfman in black and white. All right. <clears throat> All that being said, let's start sinking our teeth. <laughs> Did it again. Not let's start talking again, about know. the howling. Yes. Yes. Oh, is that was that my cue? Sh- sure. All right. So <laughs> let's do this. Um. So the howling. Um. So I think this movie starts off really strong. Like I love the way that it begins um and kind of like that like dirty sleazy neon new york of like taxi driver or maniac like it really hits the ground running with this whole um you know you have d wallace's character who's kind of like a broadcast journalist she's a news anchor and she's in like a sting operation sort of um and uh she has to go meet up with some like guy who's been stalking her to uh Uh, he yeah he's he's basically been like stalking her i guess and um she goes to this porn shop and i love the way that like as soon as she walks in all the men start leaving (laughs) they're like uncomfortable (laughs) with the idea of a woman even being in the room with her that's so funny um and then she goes into this like one of those like kind of peep show booths and the man is standing behind her and it's super creepy and super dark and the police come in and kill him and like it, it just immediately hits the ground running doesn't really like give you a whole lot of context you know it kind of just expects you to really pick up where it's leaving off and and right from the beginning you know you see d snyder or i almost said d snyder like <laughs> like i'm talking about twisted sister d wallace's Man, character i would Karen. love to see a remake with d snyder in d wallace's place <laughs> d snyder he, he kind of looks like a werewolf in real life um he is a real life wolf man yes damn it i'm gonna be calling her d snyder for the rest of this podcast by accident now good um but anyway right from the beginning of this movie like i was kind of struck by the idea like it surprised me that it started off with this like kind of broadcasting angle which immediately hooked me because i love films about you know mass media um and then also to see uh d wallace go through this very traumatic experience in right from the get-go and see how it makes it difficult for her to do her job you know she when she goes back on the air she can't even speak um i was immediately hooked um you know this movie sunk its teeth into me (laughs) um so i love the way that it really hits the ground running and 
I have to say, though, there was a point about halfway through this movie where I was starting to feel like it was going to be a disappointment. How so? Because the very the middle of this movie, she ends up going to like this wolf commune. Well, okay, hold on, that's a spoiler. She ends up going but to this spoilers. Like, psychiatric yeah, the, retreat for for a movie that yeah. is now thirty years old. I can math. Forty years old. Jeez. Yeah. I just made myself feel old for a movie. Actually, I know this year is its 40th anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. So for a movie that is turning 40 this year, uh, spoilers. Also, it's a werewolf movie. (laughs) There are werewolves there. Those are your spoilers. There are werewolves. We're going to get into probably some. (laughs) We're definitely going to get into some other spoilers. But I mean, come on. It's the howling. Who hasn't seen the howling before? Except for both of us prior to this year. Of course. (laughs) Um, but anyway, yeah, so she ends up like basically her psychiatrist recommends she goes off on this kind of retreat um, or whatever. And you end up learning that it's like a big werewolf commune and that the man that she encountered was also a werewolf who came from this commune. Um, but yeah, so whenever she's the whole middle section of the movie where they're kind of uh, meeting up with the people in this in this uh, werewolf. I keep using the word commune. I'm trying to think of something else. Anyway, it's, it's a commune. Um, it feels like. Because the movie starts off with like just rip roaring, like throws you right into the situation. I feel like the movie really screeches to a halt and becomes kind of listless in the middle. Um, but I will say I had an incredible turnaround with the last 30 minutes of this movie. Like it really kind of redeems itself um, there toward the end. Um I think my biggest issue is that you have Dee Wallace, who is an incredible actress. Like, I love her. She's the greatest mom of the 80s. She's a an underrated scream queen. Uh, the, the thing with Karen, though, is, like, she's suffering this trauma. And most of the movie, you don't really understand how much that trauma is affecting her life. It's you kind of just most of the movie. She's just having bad dreams. Like that's all you get. She's having bad dreams. She, you know, happens to have a very supportive fiance, which is really nice for her. But I don't know. I feel like there's just not much to her character. Well, he's supportive at first, and that that's something that I'll get into, which I find interesting. And I feel like is a bit of a missed opportunity. Um. But anyway, my biggest issue is that I think her character is a little too passive. Um. Most of the movie, she doesn't really do anything, and I don't feel like she's really reckoning with the the events that she went through up until the very end, which is a, a phenomenal ending. Um, but yeah, she's she's just a little too passive. They really do the whole like helpless female kind of trope by the end, where the man has to come in and rescue her. You know, that, the director of Happy Gilmore has to come in and rescue her from the <laughs> from the wolves, which is a little. A little weird. Um, so, but yeah. So, so here's kind of my initial reaction. Well, here's my thoughts on that. Um, I don't disagree. Also, I completely disagree with everything that you just said. Um, Interesting. So, so her character development is one of the things that I was referencing just a minute ago with the even when um, even when Joe Dante doesn't do something great i still get drawn in like yeah d wallace's character um and also uh just a heads up we're gonna go back and forth between the characters names and the actors names because yeah we say whichever one comes to mind first and also i i have imd 
IMDB pulled up, but uh, I don't always remember who I'm talking about. So sometimes it's going to be, you know, that dude <laughs> that I'm talking about. Um, so, so even though D. Wallace's character does not have a lot of character development, sort of, I'm going to even disagree with myself in just a second. Uh, Joe Dante still has a way of bringing me in and making me care. So like, yeah, she doesn't really change and she is just kind of passive throughout, but there's enough other stuff going on that I don't think about how she's not changing during the movie. Like it, it's, it's not something that I really focus on until you said, Hey, what did you think about her uh, character arc? And I was like, it's, yeah it's there? there question mark i don't huh which again like to me that just speaks volumes to the way that joe dante is able to handle his movies maybe not always necessarily mm. the characters themselves but the movies think, as a whole here's the other thing though well i think his biggest strength is he he casts them so well like he even when the characters aren't fully developed he he, you know, populates his movies with these very legendary kind of character actors who maybe haven't been given the types of opportunities that you would normally, you know, he's got like Kevin McCarthy, who's an in invasion of the body snatchers. He's got John Carradine has a great supporting role. Uh, you know, one of the original Dracula, not the original, but one of the universal monster Draculas. He's got um, Slim Pickens yeah, in Slim there Pickens as like the town there. sheriff and... Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, of course, Dick Miller, who just makes everything... S- 25,000 times better than it is on the page. John Sales has an amazing cameo as the coroner. <laughs> He's so good. Um he he those little touches I think in his casting really make those characters pop even when ultimately like all of the werewolves in the commune are pretty interchangeable as characters. I feel like they don't really register as people. Well, or werewolves. I was, was going to say, because they're not people. So, so yeah, like <laughs> some of it, eh, maybe the characters are lacking, but because uh, of having so many character actors, like they just bring personality, even even if it's not necessarily there. But mm. but whatever, like that's just kind of a eh, even if it's not there, I don't care because I am still so captivated, which is such a stark contrast to what I was just saying in our last two reviews about Avatar and it follows. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, it's wild to me that you that you feel the exact well, opposite about this movie. It's because we're not going to go down this rabbit trail, but it's because I care about these characters. Even if the development itself isn't there, there's still something about this movie and about these characters and about what's uh, portrayed that draws me in. And so I do end up caring about them, which is why which is why sometimes I don't even notice when something is lacking compared to it follows where at no point did I care about these characters. So the quality of the movie just couldn't overcome how cardboard all of them were. Anyways, anyways, we're we're not talking about it follows. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing in the howling. Here's the thing. So, so, uh, this is probably like the big overarching theme for me that I think a lot of the other things that we're going to be talking about will stem from the howling Mm. is very, very much like an anti rape culture movie. I don't know if that's what Joe Dante intended, but like if that movie was remade shot for shot and came out today, there is no question that it would be a me too movie just in the way that like it starts out with D Wallace's character getting raped 
and um, it, it doesn't show it, but it shows it. Uh, and well, I don't even know if necessarily that she's raped or if she, I mean, I think she's assaulted, she, but also she is sexually there is assaulted. I don't know how far into the assault. They put her in front of a, like a porn film that is about a woman who is being sexual. So that shows a woman being sexually assaulted. So I think that there's definitely has, has a lot to do. Yeah. With I mean, it. there's, there's a lot of context there. Um, but also, you know, in some of her flashbacks, like, uh, she sees herself in the movie that was playing in the porn theater. Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't show how much actually took place, but there's no question that what is happening in that the, uh, that little peep show uh, is the werewolf sexually assaulting her. Again, we don't know how far, but we know that he assaults her. And uh, again, spoilers, the fact that like when she goes to the commune, everyone there knows who the werewolf is. But none of them are mm-hmm. doing anything to stop him because they are also werewolves. Yeah. Even spoiler, major spoiler, major, major spoiler. If you've not seen the howling spoiler, skip ahead 30 seconds. Even the psychiatrist is a werewolf. And so yeah. it's just like, OK, he's like the leader of the werewolves, really. He, I mean, yeah, he's you, the you one kind of that he trying is. to teach them how to fit into society. And something really fascinating uh, that we'll probably come back to in just a second, the way that these werewolves are more of like shapeshifters that they can change whenever they want, rather than being driven by Mm. the moon, like they, they're constantly in flux with that animal nature and trying to quote unquote fit into society. And so Mm. with having that as the context of, yeah, they can do this whenever they want. They know what they are doing they're not like just controlled by the moon and completely lose track of who and what they are. No, they are fully in control when they are werewolves. And so they are all predators. Like even that line at the end, um, that, that little uh, Mm. exchange with uh, humans are supposed to be our uh, cattle. And then that one crazy old dude says humans are supposed to be our prey. It's not just that the werewolves are supposed to eat the humans they are supposed to hunt them like they have they enjoy the hunt they enjoy the chase right yeah having that context of how these werewolves operate and then having everyone around uh, around d being like oh no you're safe here because we could all assault you at any moment because we are all werewolves we can do whatever yeah. we want like <laughs> Again, I don't know if uh, if Joe Dante necessarily intended that when he was making this movie, but watching it in the context of you know the, uh, the Me Too era, there's no way that you can watch this and not bring some of that in. With all of that yeah, being I think, said, I mean, the- that is why I don't. Well, uh, just one second, uh, and then rebut to this. Okay, that's why I don't actually think that D. Wallace's character is lacking character development because think about how many women do get sexually assaulted who don't come forward because of fear of losing their jobs. I mean, like when she goes on the newscast and she freezes up and Kevin McCarthy is just like, Oh, cut away. Basically she's not being good TV. Seeing a woman in trauma is not good TV. According to the producer of the television news, that's not me saying that <laughs> just making sure yeah. to clarify that uh, and and having the person who's supposed to be helping her, the psychiatrist, also being a predator, you know, the the person who is there trying to help her overcome or forget about 
her um, her trauma is no different than the man who attacked her and traumatized her. Her husband right, yeah. also succumbs to the predatory nature of the werewolves. Spoiler. And so it, it's just such a yeah. fascinating, everyone that she is around is a predator. And, and so like, because of that, mm. I am actually, I, I'm not as upset about how, I, I don't want to say the word stale, how, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I, I'm not as upset about how her character is very, just kind of like silent and repressed for most of the movie because it, she is trying to yeah. deal with this trauma around her aggressors, even though she might not necessarily know that she is in their presence. And, and I mean, even, Oh God. Yeah. Uh, you, you said that her husband, you said fiance, but they're married that her uh, husband was supportive at the beginning. Like, no, he's not early on. No, it's husband. They're married. Because at one point he says something about her being oh. his wife. Well, in real life they were married. <laughs> okay. In, in the movie right. they were married. I thought. One of us is wrong. Doesn't matter who. Uh, like very soon after Dee Wallace's character was raped. And, uh, and her husband is there being quasi-supportive. He wants to be intimate with her. And then when she's having her flashbacks and saying, no, I, I can't do this. Because I was just raped, you asshole. It's the subtext of what she's saying, not what she's literally saying. Mm. He's just kind of like, all right, fine, whatever, and just rolls over. And like, it's it's a minor yeah. scene, but it's so telling about their relationship and about some of the issues that they're having. And it, yeah, we don't know enough about them beforehand, so it's not like we're that invested in what's going on. But yeah. that does lay the groundwork for then what happens later in, in the movie. And um, and again, like there's a, a nice little parallel with how uh, he doesn't eat meat. But then when they're at the commune, he so easily goes on the hunt with them, like with guns, because yeah. he doesn't know they're werewolves. And then when he kills a rabbit, he's like, hey, I got it. They're like, well, yeah, but now you have to eat it. It's like, oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> so like yeah, he there's was a, there's already an contradiction there. Well, and so like he's being drawn in by the thrill of the chase, and right. like there, I do think that there's the uh, an interesting parallel of oh, you've not been eating meat. Join these werewolves. We'll get you some flesh that you can tear into if you catch my meaning. It's the double entendre yeah. well, what it, of eating right. a well, rabbit what and, and and banging. Gotcha. gotcha. Talking about sex. It, what it um what not it reminds me of too like it's it's kind of hard not to draw a comparison there between like Bill being kind of um you know sucked into this lifestyle which is inherently like these people are kind of I mean they're radicals essentially you know the psychiatrist is going on TV saying like oh man he's talking about the noble noble savage and how you know men shouldn't have to deny their their baser instincts. Um, that's like the opening of the film and he gets kind of sucked into that. He ends up becoming a werewolf. He ends up giving in to, you know, the savage within or whatever. And he ultimately, like once he gets sucked into their like radical ideology, he then begins to gaslight his wife. Like there's a, a scene where, um, she confronts him after he has gone off and, and had sex, had werewolf sex with, uh, Marsha. 
and she starts to confront him about it and he immediately gaslights her. He's like, oh, you're crazy. You're, you know, you're just being crazy again. And then he backhands her and she leaves. And it's like really heartbreaking because he really is, you know, kind of the only person there who, yeah, I mean, he's not always great, but I do feel like overall he is really trying to be supportive. Um, he's the most supportive person in the film at the very See, least. You know, he's I do the not, only person she can really rely on. I do not I th- think... I don't think that he's being supportive at all. I think that he, I think that he views his wife's sexual trauma as a burden on him. Like, Oh, way to go getting raped. Now we can't be intimate. Like, I I do not like him at all throughout the entire movie. He, he just feels like a jerk. Also, I do love the fact Mm. that right before he hits her, uh, she calls that, uh, that other werewolf, um, whatever she is Marcia. the werewolf coven leader she calls her a bitch which you know yeah. like it's funny because that is a term used to refer to a woman who to is a female dog yeah used to refer to a female so, dog as along with a woman who is being you know harsh or whatever and so yes i like the uh i i like the use of that in that moment because yeah. i feel like when he hits her it's I don't know. Is there's just yeah. a little bit of like, oh, that's it's clever. There's a lot of fun little touches in the writing. Like I think John Sales is a phenomenal screenwriter. Um, I think a lot of this is very intentional, and I think I'm not disagree with anything you're saying. I think a lot of this is there. My my biggest issue is more that like so much of all of this stuff happens around the actual protagonist of the film, and she doesn't really, she's not really all that affected by it like almost everything happens around her she's almost being gaslit by the movie she's in you know what I mean like it's like oh this movie's all about you but we're not actually going to give you anything to do uh, I think that like my, I, I, I feel don't like the disagree movie would with work. that it's, it's, it's great to talk about but I think the movie is not for me at least it's not emotionally or narratively satisfying in the way it handles those things and I think the, the what would have, and I, I understand that it's completely hubristic of me to try to critique the screenplay of one of the most undervalued screenwriters ever. John Sells is amazing. He's a two-time Oscar nominee for screenwriting. So, like, I'm not necessarily critiquing his screenplay, but I feel like the the biggest issue is that the there could be a, a there's a more economical way to do it, and I think it's. You have these. You have this other subplot we haven't gotten into with these characters, Chris and Terry, who also work at the station that Karen works at, and they have like a, a subplot where they're investigating the man who attacked Karen, Eddie Quist, and you know they go off to his apartment, and then they go to uh, Dick Miller's awesome awesome bookstore that i desperately want to visit like it is so great i i um, love when they go to that bookstore and uh those two nuns walk in i yeah the I two love, nuns that's such a great that. it's so funny and then of course dick miller is just so much fun like i want a whole movie just just hang. i just want to hang out with him at this bookstore like that's ultimately i kept thinking i'm like man can we go back to the bookstore again that was so cool <laughs> and it's it's one of those bookstores too where like the shelves are are like 20 feet high and you have to use one of those ladders that slide back and forth to get books it's so awesome i love it um and also like just the production design too like you said the nuns coming in and seeing the the skeleton and then 
apparently at one point the uh the grandmother from texas chainsaw massacre is in there oh like the like shriveled up old woman because it has the same production designer i thought that was a fun detail oh, nice. Anywho, they there's this chris and terry are, are pretty interesting characters i like hanging out with them you get some fun scenes of them like watching werewolf movies and talking about werewolves but i feel like if you had folded their arc in with bill and karen's and made karen like She's investigating it. She's finding out these things about werewolves. She's trying to tell people about it, but nobody believes her. And then, um, you know, ultimately she ends up getting to a point where she ends up having to become a werewolf herself to get the story out because of this tragic arc with her husband who's been there supporting her the whole time. Again, maybe not necessarily in the movie. Well, no, no, I'm saying like if if you used the Bill and the Chris and Terry arc where he's been there like helping her out. I feel like if you combine those two, because ultimately Chris and Terry, they're kind of pointless characters. I mean, I like them, but they don't really add much. And I feel like if you had combined them, it would have given Karen a much stronger arc where she's investigating it, but nobody believes her. And, you know, she's still having a hard time confronting it or talking about it, but this is the only way that she can really deal with what she experienced by trying to understand the man and what compelled him. I don't know. I just think that if you had done something like that it would have been far more satisfying and also too the other issue i have is that with the the movie we talked about that argument that she has with bill that karen has with bill where he backhands her and she leaves and it's really heartbreaking and then you never get any other scene between the two of them after that the next time that they are together is her shooting him in the head after he has infected her which is horribly tragic and it is completely glossed over at the end of the movie. Like all you know is like, oh, that was Bill that bit you and then it immediately cuts to that final scene. And I feel like you could have gotten so much more if you really spent a little bit more time with their relationship, if he was supportive and then he ended up buying into the ideology and he ended up then being one of the people to gaslight her. I think that just is, is a much stronger arc for me. And the I, movie is so close to being there. I don't disagree, but again, I completely <clears throat> disagree with everything that you're saying. Like, yeah, that could have been a really, really interesting way and potentially a much stronger film in terms of Karen's arc of uh, being traumatized, but then overcoming mm. the trauma, but then being re-victimized by her husband. And like, I, I see where you're going with that, and I don't disagree. However, mm. then that wouldn't have been the same movie. And and uh, we've had that argument about a lot of movies. We're like, yeah, but if you changed it, then it's not what you just watched. Typically, though, when we talk about, man, if they had done this, it would have been a better movie. I think that's the same. I think it's getting at the same thing that we're seeing in it, though. It's well, so so like I, I really like the I don't think it's a different movie, though. but I do. I, guess. I, I see that as being the doing the same thing that it's trying to do in a stronger way. I, I feel like it would have been a different movie. Like I actually really like uh, that subplot with the other two journalists, um, whatever their names yeah. were, because I don't have it pulled up right now. Um, I, I like them, their story. Okay. It's just there to serve, uh, the narrative plot of like getting the information to, to propel the film. Like mm. they don't actually matter as much, but I do like them better. I like the interactions, uh, like when they're in bed watching, uh, the werewolf movie and the phone rings, it's like, no, no, it's my phone. I'll get it. 
and he's just kind of lying there's yeah. like no it's my phone i'll get it and like he starts kind of you know like tickling her and, and poking her a little mm-hmm. bit it, it, it just seems so much more fun they seem like much fun, more yeah. interesting characters than karen and bill exactly but, i 100 percent agree that's why they again, should have been karen and bill <laughs> i don't feel i <clears throat> see but that's that's where i disagree because if if they had been the leads or like if that entire plot had been the lead point of this movie, I feel like you would have lost so much more about the actual commune. Uh, you would have lost the surprise, I guess. I don't know how much of a surprise it is, but you would have lost the piece about like uh, finding out that, oh, this really is a werewolf commune and everyone there is is a werewolf mm-hmm. and they're trying to bring her in. But, like, at first you think that they're all there trying to be rehabilitated. Like, I think that if uh, if Karen had been more well, of I a, it, well, I, I think that if she had been more of the, yeah, I was just assaulted, but I'm going to go out and find out why, and I'm going to solve all this, and I'm going to fix everything myself, you wouldn't have needed as much of the psychiatrist, so you wouldn't have needed them going to the commune, so you would have lost all of that, and you would have lost, um, you would have lost a lot of the really in, interesting. Like, no, in my mind, no, she's the, doing, they're doing the investigation at the commune instead. Like she's still there, and she's still like really trying to deal with her grief, but she's also like she's more suspicious of these people because those people are fucking weird, dude. I, like, I would be super... She, it's so weird to me how I, she's I don't, not suspicious I don't disagree the that they're weird. Like, even at the very beginning when they first uh, <laughs> get to that little, like, beach party and she's like, get me out of here. That bonfire? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. she thinks that it's weird, but with with the way that her character is going of suffering PTSD and having those flashbacks and, like, reliving the moment yeah. over and over and... I, I don't think that it would have worked. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who deals with PTSD is like completely helpless and you know unable to do anything. Sure. But I think that for the sake of this movie to highlight the uh, to highlight what it is that she went through, I think that if she was just you know back up and at it and you know going to hunt them down, I I don't know. I I feel like it would have yeah. lost something about. I feel like it would have lost something about the trauma that she was dealing with. And I agree with you actually. Like I, I, that's the other thing I was thinking about with it. Like I don't want, like you would have to do a delicate kind of balancing act because I don't want to undercut like the trauma that she's going through. But I also feel like it's with her being the protagonist of the film, it's really hard to feel engaged with the narrative when she's so often sidelined and we're focusing on these other things and and just a lot of the stuff in the middle I think just kind of drags a lot it's my other issue I mean don't get me wrong I'm all about those sexy shots of the of the woods with all the fog like oh, those that's those are fantastic beautiful shots but it's so amazing them. it's very wolf, it's, it's a lot like the original wolf man like I, I mean if this whole movie was just you know foggy wood porn I would have been totally into it in terms of not actual <laughs> sexual activity with with woods, but like just all those shots are amazing. I but love see, it. Um, see, maybe not that's enough to the thing that I love and so have much. My window open in the middle of the night, like they do, but <laughs> sure. Um, so that's the thing that, that I love so much about the howling, though. And you know, like even when uh, when you and I were talking about which one to cover, were we going to cover the howling or American Werewolf in London? And you're like, ah, they're both iconic. I want to watch them both. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, uh, let's go with Howling because I feel like it subverts a few more of the werewolf tropes. And you're like, does it? I don't know what it's subverting. 
I feel like that's one of the things, um, the entire middle section in the commune where it is kind of boring, that to me is one of the biggest subversions of the werewolf genre is, you know, like you get a lot of urban werewolves, like you get a lot of werewolves in the city where they're just destroying everything. And oh, no, there's another attack. Oh, no. Bah! Or you get things like American Werewolf in London, where like all of the werewolf attacks used to be isolated to like this small village. And then someone gets attacked and it brings it back into um, brings it back into the city. And, you know, we'll get into yeah. that in other movies, I'm sure. But the fact that these werewolves in the howling are in their like they're in their home they're in the woods surrounded by other werewolves and they are having to deny their werewolfness and like just eat cattle rather than humans like to me that's one of the things that makes this movie so interesting is yes it's a werewolf movie and the main character is in a den of werewolves the entire time not being constantly attacked because it's not about the actual werewolf and like here let's you know hack some guy's arm off or have a head explode it's more of again that that psychological trauma and her dealing with things and even at the beginning like you're 40 minutes into the movie before you see an actual werewolf even though that opening scene, yeah. you get kind of like an outline of some hairy dude that's like vaguely wolf-esque. And after you've seen it or after yeah. you know that The Howling is a werewolf movie, obviously the dude is a werewolf. But you're halfway into this movie before you see actual wolfness. And yeah, I do like that. And again, like to me, now the cover obviously gives away the fact that it's a werewolf movie and it's called The Howling. For goodness sake. And the title. Right. But <laughs> uh but like if you if you didn't know the name of this movie and if this was not a movie that was forty years old and you didn't know anything about it, then you wouldn't know until a halfway through the movie whether or not it's actually a werewolf movie. Like you would have some of those thoughts, like Yeah. It, is it a werewolf or is she just kind of imagining things because of the trauma she went through? And like, yeah, you get all of like those wolfy drawings, but that could have just been the dude yeah. being crazy and like really trying to <laughs> embrace his animalistic nature. And so that's one of the things that I love so much about it is how the movie is not about werewolves. It's not about mm-hmm. It's about werewolves and uh, and again that duality, but not because of seeing them attack things, but because of seeing D go through the things that she is going through in their midst, and that's one of the things yeah. that I love so much about the, about this movie. I'm with you. Uh, okay, so I love all everything that you're saying. We we are running a little bit short on time, so I've got three. Quick points. I want to lay them out for you ahead of time, just so you're aware. These are the things I got to touch on. So, first of all, we have not actually talked about the werewolves sure. and their design and the transformation scene. Second of all, we have not talked about Robert Picardo yet. And last, we've got to talk about the ending. <laughs> so, I want to start with the werewolves because we've we're now um, more than halfway through this podcast. We haven't talked about the werewolves. So, can I just say, much like the movie, because the focus isn't like on the, movie. the werewolves, the focus is exactly. on where the werewolves mean. Exactly. However, 
How fucking awesome are these werewolves in this movie, dude? Like, these are maybe my favorite werewolves I've ever seen in anything. They're so... They're huge, and they're, like, scrawny and tall, and they're... I love that they're bi bipedal, bipedal, whatever, um, instead of, like, the four-legged versions. The, the werewolves in this movie are truly terrifying. Like... They're very angular and, you know, I love that they have like the longer ears with like the fur coming out. And I mean, they're remarkable. Like the creature design in this movie is truly remarkable. And you see a lot more of them than than I expected. Yeah. Yeah. And well, um, and that's one of the things that, again, ties in to some of the other things that we were talking about. Um, it's already kind of mentioned that I I love that in the howling the werewolves are in control of what they are. You know, they're more like vampires yeah. uh, than they are like werewolves just being driven by the moon and like waking yeah, up they, covered in they blood. They make you think it's a moon thing, but but then you learn later on that they can change even in the daylight. Yeah, and, and so like, I love that. I love that they're more in control. And uh, th this is something that we are going to be talking about just throughout this entire month. Uh, the... The way that werewolf films in general are dealing with, uh, again, sort of that animalistic nature, you know, the the id and ego of things, that's that's a theme that's going to keep coming back throughout. So I can touch on that again in, in later episodes, and I'm probably going to bring back up The Howling as reference to how it did things differently. Um, but one of the things that I love so much about that aspect in relation to the creature design, especially after having just watched the Wolfman and the Wolfman in both of those, um, Lawrence Talbot has no control over what he is. And right. when he's in a werewolf form in the Wolfman, there's a little bit more of actually controlling things like, you know, the, the good in him kind of comes through a little bit, but in large part, when he's a werewolf, he has no control. The The wolf has taken over. But in both of those, they're a bit more human looking. So I love the fact that with having watched those two and then immediately going to the, uh, to the howling, I love the fact that these werewolves look so damn wolfy and yet are still in full control of who and what they are and how they yeah. interact in both human form and wolf form. I love that because they don't look human so great. at all. They they look monstrous and and I love it. And mm. there, there's one scene that it is fun I don't the, love, like that that CG stop motion just looks out of place. Um, but aside from that, oh, you're talking about that transition in whenever it like goes to the moon after they've escaped. Yeah, I I don't love that scene. <laughs> But I kind of love it just because I, I love that they included stop motion. Like the there there are so many different types of special effects they use. There's one scene where they use uh, during the the sex scene. You can t clearly tell that they're using animation, which is fun because it reminds me of like Dracula, how they use the animated bats. Sure. Um, and then of course you get like the big puppeted, um, uh, you know, creature costumes. You get some incredible makeup effects. Like whenever the transformation scene is so. It's it's a lot goopier than you would expect for a werewolf movie. You know, usually it's you know with werewolf movies, there's not like a lot of like liquid, right? <laughs> but with this one, you get like these crazy bladder effects as his face is like extending and well, like it's and it's done in such an agonizingly slow way that it's just truly it's really horrifying when Robert Picardo finally shows back up toward the end of the film and transforms in front of D, and it's like you cannot look away from it. 
it's a uh, it's really Rob Bottin's effects are truly great. And then the scene after that where he's like been burned by the acid that she throws on his face is tr- like disgusting and amazing. It's so good. Yeah. Well, and like I also uh, really enjoy the fact that none of the werewolves seem to transform the same way. You, you only get a couple of transformations, yeah. but still, I, I again I really appreciate the fact that it that alone also brings in some more of the the personality of these wolves. Like when uh, that one yeah. like really sexy werewolf, you know, she's just kind of like I'm banging. Yeah, here are my teeth. All right, now I'm just kind of furry. I'm a wolf now. Whatever. <laughs> like she doesn't go through all of that weird pulsating bulbous mm-hmm. grossness that uh, uh, Robert They're Picardo goes through but sure. like when he transforms it's almost like he's putting on a show you know it's almost like I could do yeah, this exactly. faster but I am going to I, I'm going to terrorize you with how painful this looks Rawr, look at me my head is swelling yeah. and exploding Rawr. It, oh my god when he says he's going to give her a piece of his mind and he pulls that bullet out <laughs> oh dude it's so good right and can, can i say i didn't even realize that was robert picardo like i literally watched inner space a couple of uh like a couple of weeks ago and you know robert picardo is amazing in that movie he has a big a big scene and then i re i watched this and i didn't know until after the movie was over over that robert picardo plays eddie quist he is so amazing so terrifying like he's really incredible i i'm glad that he's used sparingly because it makes him even more impactful but there's a part of me that was like man i wish there was some more robert picardo in this movie he's so good um so yeah uh nathan do you have any last thoughts on robert picardo quick question before we get to the ending quick question yes do you think okay uh it's robert picardo adjacent when the friend okay. is killed in the uh, the psychiatrist's office, do you yeah. think that that is Eddie Quist or do you think that that is the doctor that killed her? Because the first time I assumed that it was Eddie and like I think there I think he even says something to like confirm that it was him. But rewatching it this time, mm-hmm. I was like, wait, is that the doctor killing her and I like protecting the his office? The only one you never see. I think but, he's the only one that doesn't actually transform. I could be wrong, but and and again, like I think that uh, there's a line a little bit later where Eddie says something about uh, about killing her. Um, but but yeah, just like watching it this time before it got to that scene, I was like, ooh, could could that be him? Anywho, um, mm. all right, there there are a couple other little things that I want to mention, um, but let's talk about the ending because the rest of these are more of just mm. like, hey. Here's a little side note about something that makes the movie cool. Yeah. Um, the ending. What are your thoughts on the ending? So I think the ending, it really floored me. Like it, it I knew I, I could see it coming. Like once they, once she gets up into in the, uh, gets on camera, you know, I knew that what was going to happen was that she was going to reveal the existence of these werewolves by transforming on camera. Um, and when it happens, it's so, it's such an incredibly emotional moment. Like the shot of her transforming with the tear rolling down her eye is, is phenomenal. I mean, it is absolutely extraordinary. Like it is such a, an incredible moment where she is just completely revealing herself to the world, you know, in a very literal way. Um, and then she ends up being killed on camera 
And the most devastating thing about it is like she went through this, she died to finally reveal like this is something that's really happening. And then you get this moment where these people are watching in a bar and this guy's like, man, those special effects are incredible, right? So like immediately you get the sense that she's done all of this probably for nothing and that nobody is going to believe her. And it's so tragic and true and ironic and amazing. Uh, and, and it, you know, it gets into that me too thing, but it also like the whole idea of people like kind of renouncing reality going on, like the, the commune itself reminds me of things like QAnon, the way that they convince the husband to give in to his baser instincts to, you know, <laughs> kind of deny, you know, you have people at the very end of the movie denying the reality of what they have seen. You've got this kind of group think thing going on where it's like, ooh, I like the way this feels. I like the way it feels to murder these animals, even though I'm a vegetarian. So I'm going to give in to this. And then at the very end, it's like, I have to deny the reality because, of course, werewolves can't ex- really exist. So obviously, this is just some kind of, the media is just lying to us or, you know, trying to do whatever it is that they do. I don't know. There's something that's so fascinating to me about people seeing this it doesn't fit their worldview so they automatically deny its existence yeah um, well and I, one of the things that i love so much about her tra- or, uh, her transformation scene is again comparing it to the scene earlier where she goes on the news to talk about uh, the assault by eddie and she freezes up and she can't say anything and like even when she looks in mm-hmm. the lens of the camera uh, she's having flashbacks of the the movie that or the porno that was playing um, when she was attacked and so comparing that scene where she is so traumatized that she is completely frozen and uh, and Kevin McCarthy being like, cut away. Let's go to this person because they're more interesting. That's not what he says. But mm. again, that is uh, yeah. the reasoning for what he's doing to then at the end have her overcome everything that she has been through to overcome all of these things to go mm-hmm. to not only go through something uh, painful, but like to physically have to relive yeah. a trauma like she was assaulted she was sexually assaulted by a werewolf and so the only way that she's able to get people to believe her is to be a werewolf herself and so like yeah the the trauma that she has to go through mentally and physically to try to prove to the world what happened again like that's just such a a great uh, a book ending for how she is at the beginning of the movie and how she is at the end it is, and yeah. and i completely agree with you that it's so it is just a a really fascinating way to handle this to where like yeah she just turned into a werewolf and got shot on live tv and and kevin mccarthy doesn't cut away until like after she's shot like all of this it's like oh let's see where this is going yeah. like you know he's a little concerned but not because whatever so it's not until there's something that could potentially like hurt his ratings that he's like quick go to commercial and then yeah like you said in the bar where they're just kind of like eh, eh that wasn't real or the one dude is like no no she turned yeah. into a werewolf and then got shot you're wasted doesn't mean it wasn't true yeah like, even though he believes and he's her still very just like matter of fact about it. It's like, ah, eh, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like even though he believes her, he's incredibly dismissive. I just like, whatever. Don't care. And, and again, yeah. I don't necessarily really know how much of this was intentional um, from, from Joe Dante about like what the movie is trying to convey, but watching it in 2021, there is no 
possible way for me to watch the howling without viewing it in the context of rape culture and uh, women being sexually assaulted and having their assaulters constantly around them Mm -hmm. and having to relive the trauma to try to get people to believe them and even after that for people to not believe like like it's just yeah and also love it so good i know and how a lot of those things are perpetuated by an extremist ideology by people, you know, giving into something that feels good or fits whatever they believe about the world. And, and, you know, you, when you see something that contradicts that you don't necessarily take the time to reflect on it, but you kind of just double down and be like, Nope, not true. That's not it. And what's even more fascinating about it. There's, there's one line of this movie that really stood out to me and it's the scene toward the end where the psychiatrist is killed by Chris um, you know, he's one of the werewolves. You never actually see him transform. And as soon as he's shot, he goes, oh, thank God. And it's like, you're telling me that these people have, they live by this entire worldview and the person who is leading them maybe doesn't actually believe in all of the same things that they believe in, that he doesn't really enjoy I, I being think... a werewolf. He just enjoys the power yeah. of being over them. That definitely doesn't ring true see, in the wake of I, you know, something like I an don't necessarily the United States. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that he doesn't enjoy the power. Like, I don't think that that's what was going on. I think that the doctor is more like a Lawrence Talbot esque character where it's more of a, I, I am tortured by this. I just want to die, but I can't. So the only way to live with it is to find a way to cope and to keep my werewolf hidden. So I don't think that he necessarily, like, I, I think that he, has a different motivation and intention. I don't think that he was leading people that he didn't believe. I think that he, I think that he very much believed what he was doing of trying to keep the werewolf hidden because he didn't want the, he didn't want that life. I think that the rest of the werewolves are more like, Mm, I kind uh, of agree with you too. That's probably true. Yeah. Like I think the rest of the werewolves are more like Anthony Hopkins spoiler in the Wolfman where it's like, Oh, I, I need to let the werewolf free. I need to run free. Spoilers. Anthony Hopkins is a werewolf in, in the Wolfman. It doesn't matter. It's, it doesn't matter. It's dumb. You can see it a mile away, but whatever. Um, so I think that the rest of the werewolves in the howling want to be a wolf. They want to run free. They want to release that. So, so yeah. Um, so something else with all of something else about the end scene and, and D's transformation and I'll, I'll explain myself in just a second. I feel like what you get from her at the end is what actually, and I'm trying to think of a better way to say this. I don't feel like you need to see as much of her very specific arc because you're able to get the context of her arc through her interactions, through what her husband is going through, uh, and then what she does at the end. Yes, there are some gaps, and it's maybe not the strongest character mm. development in a movie. But again, part of the reason that it doesn't actually bug me in in The Howling is because the movie gives you that arc. So whether or not a specific person does or not, yeah. I again, I I don't 
care as much as I have on other movies because the movie itself gives you that complete arc of here was this trauma. Here are people trying to cope with the trauma and different people cope in different ways. And then, uh, and then her trying to reveal herself at the end to, to make people believe also super quick because we do need to start wrapping things up. Yeah. Just a, I, I've go go uh-huh. ahead because the rest of the things that I have to say are just like little tidbits here and there. I was I was just gonna say I feel like the ending is a little bit unearned again because of my issues with her arc. I don't feel like we quite get to see that moment. I think we see it, but we don't really understand it in the context of her. Like I think the big moment where she finally, you know, when she has to kill her husband after he's infected her. And she's been through this traumatic experience that ultimately does lead her to have to, you know, feel like she needs to expose this after all she's gone through. But I just feel like you don't quite get it as much in her character. So it's a little unearned, but I think that the ending is so strong that it ultimately doesn't matter too much. I I see where you're coming from, but um, you view it more as the ending is unearned because you don't get enough from her character. For me, this movie is an example of I get what I need from her character because of the ending and because of the movie. So, you know, like towards the end, she has to throw acid on Eddie and then she has to kill her husband. And then she has to like, there's so much that she is forced to go through at the end that. Hey, okay, fine. It could have been paced a little bit better so that there was more of a development throughout, but. Or she could have done something besides have to be rescued by some other man. Well, That's the other thing that bothers me is that she doesn't have enough. She's not given the confidence to save herself. She has to be saved by some man that she only kind of knows who is barely in the movie and never really interacts with her. That kind of bugs. Understandable. That's why it's understandable. If, if he had been killed and if he had been killed and uh, the girlfriend survived, and like they just swapped uh, what happens to each of them that I think could have been a, a stronger, um, a stronger thing. Uh, anywho, that would be better. Right, yeah. We, I actually we like really need to wrap lot. things that up. Be, that would be good. We, we need to wrap things up. So just a few, yes. uh, a quick sort of lightning points. Um, when D transforms into a werewolf, she's like an adorable little Pomeranian werewolf. And it's so cute. Like she, she is not yeah, terrifying. I keep, at all <laughs> and well i man we could it's spend so another 20 minutes just looking talking at about my that. pomeranian and thinking oh you look like a werewolf <laughs> well and like it makes me wonder if like so if it's because she doesn't have an animal nature and like as hard as she was trying to show that dark side of who she is if it still just kind of comes out as cute little pomeranian you know like i i wonder yeah. if the level of wolfiness that is shown is a direct correlation to the darkness uh, within a person. And I, I wish yeah. that there had been more werewolves throughout to, to, to be able to build off of that, but there's not, there's not a ton of werewolves in this movie, which is a little disappointing, but the werewolf scenes that you, you get, get a lot are in the end though, awesome. that final, um, that final action scene is, is a hell of a good time. It is so yeah. fun. Again, what's there is great. Great. But yeah. It's, it's because it's a great movie. Uh, something else, very minor. I love that sort of like classical gothic organ music that you get because it gives it sort of that like, you know, uh, um, sort of older werewolf movie. It puts you into yeah. this classic universal monster feel. 
but the music throughout it's so inconsistent there are times where it feels kind of soap (laughs) opera-y there are times that it feels almost like carnival-esque and so the the score itself not consistent period however that also doesn't bug me because i feel like the score that you get in each scene is the score that you need for that scene yeah so you get more of like the gothic stuff when it's the werewolves you get more of the soap opera type stuff when it's the melodrama between uh d and her husband you get some of that carnival-esque-ness when it's just kind of being silly so Mm. it works because the movie has i don't think is the the strongest point yeah, I think the the um, movie has a lot of like severe tonal shifts. Like it starts off really serious and kind of grounded, and then which was surprising since it's a Joe Dante movie, and normally he's a lot more playful. But then later on in the movie, you get some of his more like cartoonish sensibilities, like the one dude who thinks he's a bloodhound and and that kind of stuff. So I think the movie really fits, or the music really fits the tonal shifts. It's a Pino Donaggio score. He does a lot of stuff for De Palma. That's really good. I, I like him a lot as a composer. Yeah, it's, it's not consistent, but it is consistently the right music for each scene. It's just like yeah. if you were listening to uh, just a soundtrack of it, you'd be like, what? What's going on here? But in the context yeah. of what you're seeing, it, it works. <laughs> it's perfect. really fun. Um, oh, man, th- there's so much more that I want to talk about, but I feel like most of what I would be saying at this point in, would just be kind of repetitive or, you know, uh, like going in depth on some little thing that honestly doesn't really need it. Um, also, I, I'm sure we're going to talk more about the howling at some point, whether it be in the context of the other reviews that we do this month or us revisiting it in like a Joe Dante month or something. Um, yeah. So. So, yeah. Any any final thoughts, Eric, about the howling? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I was kind of, I was kind of negative overall, but I really did enjoy this movie. I think it's very messy, but I think it does so many interesting things that I really, I really do feel like it's pretty rewatchable. I want to watch it again because I want to, now that I know what I'm getting myself into, you know, again, I, like I said, I didn't know anything about this movie before watching it, but I think now that I know what it is and what it's trying to do, I really want to give it another shot and see if I can, if I like fall in on its wavelength a little bit more. I, you know, I, like I said, it, it's not, it doesn't always work, but I appreciate how much it tries to do. Um, you know, a, a, a messy movie like this is always more fascinating to me than something that is, you know, not ambitious at all. And I think this movie has a lot of ambition that, that really uh, makes it very endearing and, and interesting. And again, you're not wrong. You're just an asshole. Um, I, <laughs> I love, I love this movie even though this is only the second time that I've watched it, I immediately want to rewatch it. Um, like I, I honestly will not be surprised if I watch it again before this month is out in part, just to watch it rather than uh, watching it mm-hmm. with a very critical eye in preparation for, uh, for this episode. But it's, it is just a solid werewolf flick. And, and again, it handles the drama. And I love the fact that this isn't just, oh, werewolves, they're eating people. Oh, no. How do we stop the werewolves? Oh, no. Werewolves. Yeah. Ah. I love that this has drama. I love that this has an actual, you know, there, there's a weight to the decisions. I love the fact mm-hmm. that, again, most werewolf movies do have some of that animalistic nature, but I love the way that this one is much more of a people are in control of that animal. And mm. it, it, God, that 
I, I could spend an entire episode just talking about that, uh, relating it to things like alcoholism and uh, and other substance abuse of, you know, is someone yeah. who suffers from addiction, are they in control of their behaviors, um, you know, before they are high or during when they're high? There's so many fascinating uh, psychological elements that are infused within the howling that I think could be parsed out for weeks, but we don't have time. But I, yep. I just love the way that it's handled. I love how uh, how each of the werewolves handles their werewolfism in a different way. It's it's just solid. It is a solid movie throughout. Yes, there's flaws. Yeah, there are some gaps in the character development that could be stronger. Fine, it's a little messy at times, but. This movie for me falls squarely on the but oh who cares side of any of those critiques mm-hmm. because of how much fun I have with it and how solid it is and how much I care about these characters and how much I hate some of the characters and like there's actual depth you know like y- you really feel for D but her husband is an asshole and you really like the side characters but you don't know enough about them and like you get some of the well is the doctor trying to be good or isn't he I don't know yeah there's a lot of depth to this movie and and again it's great it's not a perfect movie but it is perfectly rewatchable not only during february but any time that you want a fun i say fun that you want kind of a sad it, this is a sad movie this is yeah. not a typical joe dante fair of you know a laugh a minute there's a couple of chuckles mostly surrounding dick miller but yeah <laughs> this this is a sad movie like this is it is yeah it's truly a tragedy and i I feel, I feel like most werewolf movies kind of have to be a tragedy or they don't yeah. really they don't really work quite as well yeah I, I i love it um i what what would i pair the howling with you know what i would probably pair the howling with uh bram stoker's dracula because yeah because why not one. yeah there's there's some drama in there there's some overacting in both of those there's some <laughs> cheesy accents it's uh but plus then you get some of that classic uh vampire and werewolf pairing so uh yeah that's great yeah i did what, not what come you? up with what, a pairing. what would you pair um, the howling with i didn't come up with a pairing so uh, i mean i did literally pair it with an american werewolf in london which is such a fun double feature there really are a lot of very interesting parallels in terms of what landis and and dante are doing um let's see here is there anything i would actually probably compare it with oh, okay here's a good one how about um network so there's a sydney uh, the sydney lumet movie from 1976 network is a media satire and the ending of network has some very interesting parallels to the ending of um the howling they are completely radically different movies but they're set in a similar time period both in new york i think well network might be chicago or something anyway they're both in big city sort of for part of it and they have some very interesting ideas uh like satirical ideas about media uh and that's one of the things that i really liked a lot about the howling it it kind of immediately made me think of network when i saw like the um the new stuff toward the beginning and end of the film so yeah sure we'll go with that all right (laughs) that works for me still haven't seen network i need to (laughs) all right uh eric where do you want people to find you um, I can be found on Twitter at the Chimerican. That is T H E C H I M E R I C A N. I can also be found on uh, Instagram at Chimerican Reviews and on Letterboxd at Eric J A Y. And you can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at 
video monster pod. Uh, you can also follow me personally on Letterboxd at the Gargyle. That's G-A-R-G-Y-L-E. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to keep coming back for more uh, werewolfy goodness, just subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Just do a search for Video Monsters and uh, subscribe and, and keep coming back. We're going to be continuing on throughout the month of February with our February theme. It's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as dumb as our March theme, which I'll save until we get a little bit closer oh, to March. Man. Uh, I love it. Yes. I love it so much. Yes. So we're continuing on with our February Werewolf Month. Uh, next up, we are covering Ginger Snaps, which I think because of some of the um, because of some of the themes within Howling, I think this is going to be a fascinating follow up, and yeah. that might be a lot of the discussion. It it might be more about how these movies flow into each other rather than a, uh, a full on review. Anywho, I suspect they'll be a good. Um, yeah, it's uh, I'm looking forward to this one. I've wanted to do for <laughs> it's so dumb, it's so dumb. <laughs> wanted to do this for a while. I'm glad that we are finally uh, focusing our entire month. When most people focus on love, we are focusing on werewolves. So yes, yeah. All right, that's been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan, and I'm Eric. And hey, remember, boy. kids. Um, uh, what? 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 Who? What? <laughs> Hey, bright boy. What'd you how say? You like your burger. <laughs> Rare. That's that's me combining two different two different quotes from this movie. I love the way Robert Picardo calls calls Chris bright boy. I just want to call <laughs> everyone bright boy now. Anyway, sorry, I stepped all over this? your ending. How about this? Take a note, Twiddle. We'll see you next time. Oh, yes, love it. I love that. I love that line of the Wolfman. I I love the Wolfman. I love Twiddle.